welcome back to yet another episode of the Frontier Report. This is episode number six, recording on August 2nd out of the lovely county of Los Angeles. I'm Kyle. This is Arlen Woodfield. And if you have no idea who we are or you've never tuned in before, we are the men behind Frontier Mining, where we do all sorts of cryptocurrency mining and hosting to one day take over the world. Just kidding. We actually want to build a sustainable infrastructure behind blockchain and see the world change within the data centers that we are building. But of course, the Frontier Report is a lot less about that and a lot more about what has been going on in the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency. This week, you're going to hear about a ton of different things from Bitcoin flying up and flying down. No surprise there. To what's going on with Bitmain, who has recently announced that it will be launching its ICO all the way to some of the new technologies being released on the blockchain in addition to a bunch more, guess what, institutional capital capital coming in. So on that note, Arland, let's make this thing happen, man. Let's get into it. So Arland, interestingly enough, there are 151 days left until the end of the year. This year has been flying for me. I can certainly say it's been flying for the crypto market too. The first 214 days were an absolutely wild ride. We saw Bitcoin go to its all-time low right around 5,800, only to bounce back to above 8,000 and now sit right around 7,400. We witnessed Academia take a stab at crypto courses from Malta announcing its first blockchain degree from to the London School of Economics announcing a crypto course. We went all the way down to Malta, as I mentioned, announcing that it will become the blockchain island and the new safe haven for all cryptocurrency-related companies. We even saw the US government start serious talks around cryptocurrencies with the United States Supreme Court stating that it may be a legitimate form of money within the next 10, 15, 20 years. And then, of course, on top of this all, you and I have talked about this many times, that we have just spotted massive amounts of capital flowing into the market. So I guess the big question of this episode is going to be, is it really a bear market? You know, there's one thing that I know for sure, and it's that we cannot predict anything about blockchain and crypto. I mean, the reality is we're looking at a 1% global adoption rate. In fact, probably less than 1% global adoption rate. So truth be told, there's a long road ahead for this new technology and the associated currencies. But if there's anything that's certain about the world of cryptocurrency and blockchain, it's that people are really curious. You and I, my friend, are absolutely no different. Let me just ask you, Arlen, before we kind of get this episode moving, as I had mentioned, we are 214 days into the year. How have you felt about crypto and blockchain through this kind of two-thirds journey of 2018? It has been an emotional roller coaster to say the least. <laughs> no kidding. Oh my gosh! It's you know you wake up one morning and Bitcoin's flying up and you know all the mark you know you see all the altcoins green across the board, um, and then you think it's gonna be great and it's gonna keep going and then the next day you, you see it dip below where it started and yep. um, and then you know the next day then it's above and it just it's uh it's definitely a day to day type market. I mean, That's I, absolutely I, I right. feel like, you know, a week in the, the cryptocurrency market is like a year in the regular market in right. terms of the, you know, volatility and the weird things that happen. And, you know, there's so many weird dynamics and, yep. and, and micro economies and, you know, yep. micro shifts and large shifts. It just, um, definitely a motion roller coaster. I am tired, but I'm excited, you know, like, Amen, it's kind of like, it just, you just, you just, you get back up and you wait for the next punch or you wait for the next, like, you know, incredible piece of news and 
you just roll with the punches and keep going. And eventually you get punched enough that you kind of just feel numb doing it. Yeah, a little punch drunk. (laughs) Absolutely right, man. I mean, I I think truth be told here, when you're looking at a market with such immense scarcity and small market caps for many of the coins that have been launched, it shouldn't be a surprise that we're seeing massive volatility because we, even though blockchain wants to be decentralized, there are certain actors on the market that that have centralized a lot of the efforts. And interestingly enough, we're going to be talking about one of those today. Uh, as the world has been watching the monetary ups and downs of cryptocurrency and the markets that come along with it, our team has been kind of quietly hanging in uh, in the back room, no. taking a look at what's been happening with the mining market. And it's evolving pretty rapidly, evolving so rapidly that just in the last seven days alone, the world's largest cryptocurrency mining company, a company by the name of Bitmain, announced a 1.1 billion dollar quarter one profit for this year obviously this dazzled observers as the company is now initiated or is considering at the very least an ipo it was originally valued at 12 billion after seeing this 1.1 billion dollar q1 2018 profit they're now in talks of possibly being valued at 14 billion we're talking about these this being bigger than companies that have been legacy companies for 20 30 40 years bitman came to life within the last five ten years alone and if you know nothing about bitman don't worry they really do hang out in the shadows of the cryptocurrency market. But Arlen, for the sake of our listeners, give them a 1,000 foot overview of what exactly Bitmain is and why they're important. Sure. So Bitmain is an interesting animal when it comes to the Bitcoin market. They, they're they kind of the 800 pound gorilla in the back room, <laughs> to, to follow the analogy. <laughs> right. Um, I, mean, I don't know what back room yeah, this actually is. Just the, the universal crypto back room. Sure. Anyway. Um, yeah, a so, metaphor for this entire market. It's going to keep going. So Bitmain creates... Uh, basically specialized chips, application-specific integrated circuits for mining Bitcoin and select other cryptocurrencies specifically. Right. And that sounds very straightforward. But what that basically means is, you know, the with the rise of uh, Bitcoin, they have continuously been the first to market with highly specialized, really optimized, highly profitable uh, application-specific integrated circuits or ASIC Machines. That's where you hear when you hear somebody say, "I have an ant miner." If that if that's something, if you're in the or mining an world, S9. or an S nine to be, you know, that that is what they're talking about. They're talking about a machine that is specifically made by Bitmain. And you know, the 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 thing that makes Bitmain so successful is that they tend to mine with their product a little bit before right. it goes to market, and uh, that's how they've generated such an incredible amount of wealth so rapidly. Um, is that not only are they selling these chips to mining enthusiasts who buy them by the thousands, I mean, or if not tens of thousands. We've seen people approach us with, you know. I mean, just a couple of days ago, yeah. we had 20,000 yeah. S9s, I think it was. 20, they wanted to host 20,000 S9s, a single person. And when you when you see a single user have that many, it just it makes you think how many are out there, especially when you look at the stats and how many miners are actually mining Bitcoin. Right. And it starts to get pretty staggering how much hardware they're actually selling. Right. Um, and, you know, the fact that they're able to mine with it before the ne- network difficulty spikes on the next generation, um, they're accruing a massive, massive portfolio of Bitcoin, Litecoin, you know, Ethereum, um, as well as selling these miners that have, are less profitable than when, than when they were mining with them exclusively. I mean, there's no secret that they are doing some crazy stuff over there. It's not surprising at all that they cleared 1.1 billion. Um, it's just, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, it is an absurd number, though, when you really think about it for a mining operation that many people have no idea about, especially with, with what I was mentioning earlier, with the global adoption rate of cryptocurrency being below 1%, to see a company that's not some ICO or something, but a company that is legitimately producing products that can be used within the cryptocurrency space and doing $1.1 billion in profit, it goes to show. And again, my 
question that I mentioned earlier is like, is it really a bear market when you have a company operating in the market doing 1.1 billion? That's a whole nother conversation that we'll probably dive into later. But the bottom line from what Arlen was saying there is that Bitmain is the first and has been the first mover in the cryptocurrency mining market. They took advantage of it long before other operations came to life. They got a ton of capital poured into them. Now they produce essentially the strongest or arguably the strongest cryptocurrency mining hardware in the world. But this begs the question, do they have threats? When you have a company scale to 14 billion, really in less than two years, you have to imagine that there are going to be potholes along the way. There are going to be the Samsungs, the Intels, the NVIDIAs. People are gonna start looking at you and saying, I kinda of wanna smash you now because yeah. I've been around for 50 plus years and I'm tired of seeing small companies trying to step on my toes. Best follow approach that's, all the way. That's exactly right. So, you know, the first question I think this 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 begs is can Bitmain diversify into other revenue streams? And just to give our listeners a little bit of context before you uh, kind of go off on this, Arlen, Close to 80% of Bitmain's revenue comes from selling chips. These are the chips we mentioned earlier, the application-specific integrated uh, integrated circuit chips, ASICs. Um, and according, this is according to one cryptocurrency investor, but I think everybody knows if you know Bitmain, you know them for the chips they produce, the ASIC chips. Um, and the reality is that we talked about in our last episode, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, we talked a lot about the proof of worth, proof of work versus proof of stake mining processes. And uh, Bitmain, the reality is, as long as the POW or proof of work algorithm is intact, uh, they will continue to grow in their direction of just selling chips. But the question becomes, what happens when bigger players start to step on their toes? How do they react to that? Yeah, and I think the other question is, is is Bitmain big enough to compete with those bigger players? I right. Mean, you look at like AMD stock or NVIDIA stock, um, they've been around for a long time. Bitmain is blowing them away. Uh, right. It's no secret on that. And can they continue this momentum and and innovate faster than these seasoned veterans in the space? Right. And I think they can. I also think that they're also make they're diversifying their portfolio. And, and one of the things that they really need to focus on, and, and they are starting to, um, is AI. Yeah. Uh, they're they're making highly specialized chips that can do a very specific function very well, and um, essentially, you know, Nvidia has been owning the space for the last two years, and uh, you know, Bitmain suddenly has the resources and the the tech team and the production line to create more efficient, cheaper, faster, better chips. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if the future of Bitmain isn't mining, but it is. AI and deep learning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll give them this. Crypto mining was an incredible entry point for them into the market. And and Arlen kind of led naturally into the last, uh, well, excuse me, not the last, but the next question that, that really has been plaguing my interest recently, which is how exposed is Bitmain to competition from larger firms? So we started to talk about a few of these. We tar- started to talk about Samsung and Intel and the logical chip makers. Uh, and what's interesting is that the way that the crypto mining market works at this point is you typically see an evolution of a new machine anywhere from six to 24 months a new chip gets created it gets implemented all other chips become completely irrelevant at that point because there's something faster that has now been introduced to the market so there's competition in other words for other chips no longer are they as powerful that being said if the demand for mining hardware continues to grow and we continue to see cryptocurrency and blockchain projects operate on the proof of work algorithm then the likelihood is that yes the big players are to pay attention they're never going to run for money it's a logical and profitable route for a samsung and an intel and in fact samsung has already dipped its toes and earlier in 2018 this year it said that it was starting to produce chips specifically for bitcoin mining so i guess the point here is that bitmain is going to have a target on its back especially with its massive growth to a 14 billion dollar company but 
the big theme here is that obviously there is two different ways, at least in most people's perspectives, of how you can enter into the cryptocurrency markets, right? One is that you can just go buy a coin in an exchange and hang on to it, or maybe over the counter, but the bottom line is you acquire the currency themselves. Another is to actually invest uh, in a miner and become a cryptocurrency miner. So I guess my question for you here, Arland, is that is holding the currencies themselves a better investment? Uh, and I'm kind of curious, just on a high level, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, and are, you, are we talking in terms of Bitmain holding the currencies or in reference to them? Or are we talking just in general, buying a miner versus, uh, you know? Well, let, let's talk in general and then break it down to Bitmain okay. because there's an, interesting, there's an interesting concept here with the fact that Bitmain's profit is going to be directly related to the mm-hmm. price of Bitcoin. Yeah, so I mean, as far as buying a miner versus... Um, you know, buying a currency flat out, I think it depends on a, a number of variables. I mean, the first first and foremost, it's a, what is your objective? What is your goal? Um, if you're looking to, you know, really be active in the market and to, you know, call the shots and be agile and, and really do an analysis, you're going to see a, a larger, um, I think, return on buying a miner because you have more flexibility in what you mine, how you mine it, where you mine it, um, and you can access assets before they hit exchanges. Now, if you wanted to sit back, invest, you know, a couple thousand into a certain portfolio of coins and then hold them for five, six years and do nothing with them, um, then, you know, it, it's kind of where you want to be if you want to be active or passive. Um, but I do think that mining, if you had to choose, the biggest bang for your buck would be mining in the oh, two without just question. because you get that flexibility you get i mean there's so many opportunities that we see every single day here in, in terms of new coins that are emerging that you right. haven't even heard of right um the future you know i i was akin, akin this area to being like the dot-com bubble where you have pets.com i mean for all we know ethereum could be pets.com and the next ethereum or the next apple or whatever is um in the wings mineable today and right. you can mine a thousand of it in one sitting and in a year or two it's going to be just like you know everybody's like oh, i wish i mined bitcoin back in the day with my laptop and i could have mined a hundred a day I mean, the, it's just that's that's the nature of cryptocurrency, and you just you you don't get access to that world unless you're mining. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and I think for our listeners out there who are just kind of taking in and drinking all this information about mining, the most interesting piece here is that you acquire these currencies at a lower cost basis because you're mining them and not purchasing them directly from an exchange. Yep. As for Bitmain within this context, you know, I think the bottom line sort of question that continues to come up is how does Bitmain stay relevant and how does it feel comfortable when it knows that its profits are at this point in its life cycle directly tied to Bitcoin. Uh, but frankly, all the Bitcoin bulls out there, they feel pretty good about this. And uh, there's a woman by the name of Ariana Simpson, who is the managing director at Autonomous Partners, which is a big old VC firm, uh, and now I, I believe evolved into a crypto hedge fund. And what she basically said is that the $12 billion or $14 billion valuation uh, for Bitmain is actually a fairly conservative estimate. If you expect there to be significant appreciation in the cryptocurrency market over the next couple of years, which obviously we do, many of our listeners do as well. Uh, So point here is that yes, Bitmain will continue to grow. Yes, crypto mining will still matter. Yes, crypto mining is a great way to get into the market, but will Bitmain absolutely be in the limelight now for bigger players to stomp it? Sure. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, and the other piece I think that she's touching on is you have a company that has mined an incredible amount of cryptocurrency, right? Bitcoin specifically, but there's other currencies that are thrown in that mix, and you know people are paying them in Bitcoin to access their miners. I mean, they have accrued a massive, massive portfolio of cryptocurrency that will appreciate over these the next few years. And if Bitcoin, I mean, the funny thing is they're holding on 
they're, they're mining Bitcoin and holding on to Bitcoin, and their cost basis is lower than anybody else in the world can get. They, they're manufacturing the hardware at cost. They're hosting in China, or they were, you know, at, at probably the lowest power they could possibly get. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're paying two cents a penny for, you know, a kilowatt hour. No and they have accrued over the last five years so much wealth in this field that this company that is whatever it's evaluated right now, it was worth double that back in December. Correct. And I think I think that the metric they said that the actual crypto accounts for about 20, 20% of their portfolio sure. of what they're they're bringing in. Um, I'm curious to see if that the crypto itself, is that account for the crypto that people are paying for the miners? Because most of the time you pay for a miner in Bitcoin. That's how right. you do it. So does that, are they accounting those earnings in that, that portfolio? Do they have a holding? But whatever the allocation is, the fact is that a, 1.1, a company that was able to drain $1.1 billion in 90 days has a portfolio that accounts for 20% of their wealth in crypto, right. um, if the market goes anywhere, if the market goes to 2% of the population, 3% of the population, that number exponentially grows. I mean, right. I think it's kind of staggering. It's almost like if you can acquire the thing for $14 billion today, I would say that would be probably... Pretty, I think it's a great investment. Yeah, I would say I that's a, a pretty investment. good... Because yeah, exactly. you're going to be taking $14 billion that's going to be made up of a good chunk of crypto. Yeah. And if we believe in crypto like we do, if we believe in Bitcoin, then... Bitmain will be just fine whether they are mining or not. I think they're like the DGI, if you're familiar with the drone space. Yep. They're like the DGI of the crypto space. They're not going away. They're going to be a big player in the future. I wouldn't be surprised if Bitmain is up there with Apple and Google and Microsoft and all those big players in you know a few years in terms of what the impact they have in our everyday lives are. Fascinating. Calling the shot. Fascinating <laughs> call, I was about to say. That is the moonshot for Bitmain from Arlen Whitfield. You can mark it down right here about 6 p.m. PST on August 2nd. But that's enough about Bitmain. You know, if you want to learn more about them, I definitely recommend uh, looking around the internet and having a better understanding of what they do. And of course, if you want to talk mining, we are your guys. On that note, two stories of the week. Let's get into it. Moving on to the review of the last seven days in the world of crypto and blockchain, as always, we're getting a lot of weird movement from Bill Clinton, that's going to be an interesting story to talk <laughs> about, uh, to IBM, to Facebook, and to $100 million of VC capital coming into the market. It is a good time to be in crypto. Let's start with IBM, though. Some of our favorite players in blockchain, uh, they've been pretty involved in this world for some time now. Of course, moving right along from the artificial intelligence space and now being big movers and shakers in blockchain. So they came together with a company by the name of CLS to create the blockchain app store for banks. Now, last episode, we talked a lot about how there are going to be a variety of blockchain as a service style applications whether it be for businesses, whether it be for tokenized assets and beyond. Uh, in this case, we're going to be looking at the financial industry and where blockchain is going to impact that. Obviously, blockchain has been incredibly disruptive in finance, but in the case of this new platform by the name of Ledger Connect, what it essentially is, as I mentioned, is a financial blockchain app store that aims to make it easier for banks to access DLT or distributed ledger technology solutions from fintech and software providers and for those vendors in turn to reach bank customers. So what it does is, is very simple. It allows for banks to be the middleman between the DLT and the customers. It's a beautiful thing because everybody in this ecosystem ultimately ends up winning. Now, Ledger Connect is the offspring of a bank-owned currency trading utility, CLS, as I had mentioned earlier, and software giant IBM. So it's interesting because already they're counting major banks such as Barclays and Citigroup among the founding members of this platform. And in total, nine financial 
financial institutions are participating in the proof of concept of this technology ledger connect uh, and have selected services from a handful of vendors the vendors who are already on the platform are uh, some that you may have never heard of but i'll list them off just in case you want to look them up online we've got baton systems calypso cop clark ibm m faces open risk sin swap and persistent systems these are a handful of different financial instruments that have been translated to the blockchain network. Uh, it's quite interesting though, with Ledger Connect, financial institutions will be able to access those DLT-based services, as I had mentioned. And where will they be using these? Well, they'll be using them in Know Your Customer Processes, which has been a huge issue in the world of fraudulent cryptocurrency transactions. Uh, sanction screenings, collateral management, derivatives, post-trade processing, and reconciliation and market data. To be completely honest, a lot of those concepts go right over my head. Right there with you, man. But what I can say for sure is that having a secure network and proven infrastructure allows an app store kind of model. Um, this is the direct quote of Keith Baer, who's IBM's vice president for financial markets. And what he really sees is that if we can deploy these types of apps seamlessly over a blockchain network, we increase safety, security, and accessibility of major financial institutions that are most likely going to be disrupted by blockchain. So Arlen, kind of curious what your thoughts are here. Now we're seeing banks, instead of resisting blockchain technology, they're actually embracing it. Yeah, I mean, I think they're embracing it of a necessity. Um, right. I mean, they're going to have to bring down their costs. That's that's what that comes down to. They're going to have to reduce their overhead to be more competitive as crypto becomes a bigger influence. This this could be the thing that saves them, or it could be just the thing that kind of strings them along, you know, a little longer. It prolongs the inevitable. Um, banks will need to adapt to enterprise, and, and the, 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 the fastest way they can do that is to streamline their internal networks and their internal systems. So it just it makes so much sense that they could offload and decentralize entire uh, workflows into the de decentralization, you know, the cloud, I guess, um, and make dApps and, um, you know, just make everything cheaper internally so they can pass it on to the customer. Competition is good. And this is the first time banks are really seeing it. It's, yep. It's a good You're day for absolutely us, right. Yeah. I mean, cheers to them for responding to it, to be honest. And I think within the banking system, which is in many ways, um, it's a it's a centralized system of contracted trust if you will, uh, decentralizing that model and creating contracts in which people are no longer tied to traditional financial instruments, but instead can leverage the resources of banks while being able to utilize the high-speed networks we see in decentralized ecosystems. It's pretty exciting for the world of finance. Um, but moving on from that, in spite of everything IBM's doing, let's be honest, it's probably not the most interesting story in the world, although we may see its impact down the line on us as consumers. We're bearing our lead, Kyle, there. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. But I think what I find even more interesting in this space is the the direct consumer effects that we are going to see from blockchain technology. Sure. Um, when, we, when you're looking at a blockchain app store for banks, absolutely over time, we're going to really start to feel the impact of that. But the one thing that's really been floating in the world of blockchain uh, is this concept, obviously, of decentralization, but even more so democratization of data. How can I now re like really take control of my data again? How can I monetize off my personal data in the way that large social media platforms monetize off my data? Blockchain will allow us to do that. So, you know, our discussion on this next topic is, is going to be a little bit more speculative, but the question here is, will Facebook be the first billion plus user social media token? Our friends at Blockchain Beach 
over in LA decided that they were going to pose this question. Uh, and it's quite interesting. So let me provide a little bit of background here and why a tokenized model for a social media network would make sense at all. If you hear me say SMN, social media network, it'll all make sense. So in the first quarter of 2018, Facebook stands at 2.2 billion users. I mean, we're talking about 20% of the global population. I mean, it's just absolutely nuts. Staggering. Really crazy. Actually, 29% of humanity is actively participating in this single centralized autocratic medium. Kind of nuts to me. Um, but obviously, here's where it gets interesting. When you have 2.2 billion people on a platform, you now can see that if the model becomes tokenized, Facebook has a higher GDP than many nations. I mean, we're talking about huge amounts of wealth that can be pushed through a 2.2 billion person network. Uh, now, as we've talked about in previous episodes, Facebook has really started to dive into blockchain and crypto. In fact, they have their first blockchain engineer officially on staff now. Uh, and so with that, Obviously, rumors have started to circulate about a digital currency coming to the surface, and we don't really know what this means for Facebook. Does it mean that Facebook fundamentally changes? Does it mean they're looking for a new revenue of monetization? If you just noticed, they just started monetizing WhatsApp, or at least announced that they will, because their primary driver of revenue, Facebook itself, is not as popular as it used to be. It got really slammed in the news the last year, so they're looking for new routes of monetization. And when you look at social media networks, there's a couple different ways where monetization becomes really interesting in a tokenized model, right? And ultimately it comes down to a couple different questions, which is how do we decide, how do we decide, excuse me, what is worth paying for? Who's going to pay for it and how much are they going to pay for it? Now, across all of Facebook, I think we know really what can be monetized because we've seen it. I mean, first and foremost, we know that we can monetize engagement. People pay up the A double S. There you go. Am I right? Uh, to have people simply like their post. I mean, we see people dropping $20,000 a day into Facebook ads. Yeah. It's absolutely absurd. So start right there. Now, secondly, uh, of course, they're not only going to pay for people to engage, but also just to consume content. So can I promote my stuff? And how many people can I promote it to? And then lastly, content creation itself, right? So you'll, I mean, happily, you'll see many companies pay for content to be created, to be pushed onto Facebook. There's obviously many different strategies in marketing. One of them is content marketing, right? So how can I get people to come to me by the content I produce? And so this really comes down to, Arland, and I'm very curious where your head's at with this, is if you tokenize something like an SMN, a, a, a social media network, uh, how does this fit into the model? How does it actually serve users more than what currently exists? Yeah, uh, this is an interesting half step. You know, I think there's the hardcore blockchainers that want everything to be decentralized, but we, we, all, we also have to realize that this decentralization and this tokenization is allowing these super, super micro transactions to happen right. with no fees instantly, quickly, between users, seamlessly and autonomously. And um, what that what that basically allows us to do, and, and I'm curious to see how, if it works, is that, you know, we have finite resources as a, as a, you know, as a person. We have time and attention. People are willing to pay a lot of money for that. But up until this point, we have not really been able to, I guess, uh, quantify what that would look like, right. that engagement. I mean, how do you, what what is, five seconds as somebody looking at your picture worth? I mean, I'm sure some big time advertisers could tell you. Oh, I'm sure. And the, the conversion rate, I'm sure there's so many metrics that could be pulled from that, but there has never been a mechanism to take advantage of that. Right. And this is kind of getting Orwellian, I think, in some ways where it's it totally like is. every second that you like 
like people could pay you to pay attention to mm-hmm. something else. Or they could pay you for you to sell your private data to them. Oh, yeah. Right? And, yeah, if you don't give a rip, you can get compensated. And I think that's interesting for on the control standpoint. Like, I can, you know, I'm getting compensated for my data. Yeah, I'll see your ad. I don't care. Um, but I think where it starts to get more interesting is, is around, like, um, you know, like user term agreements and, like, things that are boring. Like, all the things that we skip and don't pay attention to today would we pay more attention to if we were compensated if for If we were paid for paying yeah. attention, yeah. right? Um, paying you know, attention. That's paying attention. Got a whole new meaning. It really does. Yeah. Uh, you know, what I find kind of particularly interesting about this is from the advertiser's standpoint, right? A lot of what I spend my time doing as an advertiser, speaking in their shoes for a moment here, is trying to find the people on the internet who want my stuff but aren't looking for me, mm-hmm. right? So my question is, if I can now pay people directly to look at my stuff, are these the people that I want to target? Yeah. You I mean, see kind of the conundrum kind of, that occurs there? It's like uh, when people go and pay for fake likes or right. fake followers on Instagram. You can do that. You can get that number bigger. But if your engagement is, you know, you have 20,000 followers and only 50 people are liking that photo, advertisers aren't dumb. Mm-hmm. Like, they know that means nothing. So if you kind of flip the script and are, I guess, quote unquote, legally or above board paying for people to engage with your content, does that engagement really have any meaning? Does it hold as much weight right. as natural organic? And right. how do you differentiate between people that are liking because they are getting paid that pen right. and they like it, and right. they're, they're sitting there on their phone with like an auto clicker and just right. jamming through it all, like I guess swiping on Tinder, you know, right. versus somebody that legitimately saw your content, thought that was neat, and liked it and got compensated for it? I mean, I think there's a conflict of interest that might arise. I think there totally is. I mean, and I also think that you create a world that's super clickbaity because it's oh just like like this and I'll, and you'll get paid in yeah. this in this SMN token or FB token or whatever it's yeah. going to be. Hey, here's one thing that I really do like though about social media platforms transitioning over to the blockchain is for user generated content purposes because sure. now my content is stored with a unique ID on an open ledger where nobody can steal and replicate that content. And that's, that's a massive problem. That's a huge problem. I mean people YouTube has that rampantly, right. Facebook has that rampantly. I mean the idea that you could well, I think the, the, the even the better part is, yeah, you can take this content and you can post it, but I want to get compensated for it. That's exactly yeah. right. Like, or the, You can even do micro inside a video, like if you're using clips from other people's video. I mean, there is, a, I guess, you can get really excited and extrapolate on for original content. This is a huge win. Um, I just don't know if it's a huge win for society in some ways. It sounds, well, for, it's for scary. Ad, I mean, for, for advertisers, I don't know if it's a win. For content producers, it's oh, awesome. Absolutely. It is it is like the greatest thing ever because and for our listeners out there, go look at things like Kodak Coin or Tron. Maybe they're not the best examples of great ICOs, but they are great examples of cool technology that is trying to protect protect original content on the blockchain. The blockchain is extremely effective at doing that. Uh, and of course, it's not just Facebook, it's not just IBM that are toying around with these ideas of blockchain technology. Believe it or not, Bill Clinton former United States president is also now toying around with blockchain. Uh, if you know nothing about Ripple, Ripple is one of the largest tokens that exists in the world today. Arlen, give the people just a quick snip on what Ripple does. Yeah, Ripple was designed to increase, and this is harkening back to the first story, interbank transactions. Right. You know, cross-border, interbank. Uh, it facilitates transactions between those. It makes it more you know, transparent, quicker, faster, cheaper, all, you know, all the stuff the blockchain does. Um, they were just really good at creating insane partnerships up there, and I believe South Korea, yep. and then expanding out around the world, and 
and then they're on the Ellen show. Yeah. I think that's what they're famous for. They were promoted by Ellen. Like, Ellen was on there telling you how to buy Ripple during the, like, the boom. Like, that just blows my mind. No, it really is. I mean, they were one of, probably one of the most popularized cryptocurrencies that I ever saw. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe right below Bitcoin, I would say. Um, It came out of nowhere, too. It really did. It was just like, it was there. It just, I think they just hit the, you know, they hit the iron when it was hot. Yep. The market was going nuts. They saw this, like, insane team. It was on, I mean, just, I mean, there's a period of time I, I remember where people were only watching the market for XRP and XVG. Like, yeah. it was like Virgin Ripple, Virgin Ripple. I mean, my brother, I got him introduced into crypto, and all he wanted to do was Virgin Ripple. So I can, underst- something right. I can understand the hype around both of those tokens. Um, but the reason we're even bringing up Ripple in this conversation is because they host a really cool conference every year called Swell. And what Swell does invites global leaders from the policy, payments, and technology fields to come together and discuss how blockchain can be used to benefit society at large. Uh, last year had some incredible speakers from former Federal Reserve Chairman Dr. Ben Bernanke. If you know nothing about him, Ben is a freaking beast. He basically pulled us out of the financial crisis. Really cool guy. Uh, they had the – and I – and I have to put an asterisk on this. I don't even know if this is a real <laughs> thing, but you can probably back me on this, Darlin. They apparently had the worldwide web inventor, Sir Tim Berners-Lee. Does that name ring a bell? It doesn't, but it's got the word sir in it, so it must be So important. it must be yeah, right. I, I believe it. But the most interesting one, at least in my opinion, they also had the co-author of Blockchain Revolution, Don Tapscott, one of our favorite books in the world of blockchain. Anyway, the whole reason I'm even bringing this story up is because I just found it really interesting that they pulled in Bill Clinton for this year's Swell Conference. Um, in the words of Ripple's news release, President Clinton helped usher in a period of extreme growth and adoption of the internet and established programs that brought new technology to communities around the world to help bridge the digital divide so he is apparently a first mover not only in the internet but also in the internet 3.0 aka blockchain um there's probably not a ton of commentary on this because i don't really know if this is any signification for the growth of blockchain but i can tell you one thing for sure people are really paying attention well i mean that's i think i think it's just you know the magnitude that that list of people we just listed are some of the you know greatest minds of our generation right um and the fact that they're getting together and they're doing this event under the ripple banner is insane i mean it really is and the other thing is i think we're showing our age because i didn't know bill clinton did all that stuff to help usher in the digital age we just were born we're kids yeah but definitely interesting um yeah, I, I don't know what to say. I, mean, I, I don't it's know. Cool. To, well, I, don't, I don't know what to say either. I, I did find it very clickbaity when I saw it, and yeah. I'm like, I see why you're doing this ripple. But at the same time, fascinating that we're talking we're looking, about. We're looking at an extremely, extremely thin portion of society. This like little kind of one to two percent of people that Bill Clinton sits in, who is now talking about blockchain. Mm-hmm. Crazy world we're in right now, man. Again, my question. I'm gonna bring it up again. Is it really a bear market? I think Bill would beg to differ. Uh, But to close out the Frontier Report, episode number six, August 2nd, 2018. Uh, Kind of an interesting story on this one. So I'm going to give you the title of this story first. VCs plan to give away $100 million in crypto. Very clickbaity. That is clickbaity. Let me explain specifically what that means. So uh, there's been a long secret cryptocurrency project whose investor deck once touted Burning Man as central to its anti-capitalist ethos. And this project has finally arrived. Uh, When I say that Burning Man is the sort of central portion of its anti-capitalist ethos, this is a very anti-establishment company like most blockchain companies are. This is sheer decentralization at its finest. Uh, Released just on Thursday of this week, 
this company called Handshake, which is backed by top VCs and some of the most well-known blockchain developers, has raised $10.2 million in institutional capital for an attempt to replace the digital entities that authenticate domain names. So these are definitely the hidden sectors of the internet, but these are the people who actually give you your good old first name, last name .com. And you can insert your own names in there for the sake of this conversation. Um, it's interesting how this model works, though. So it's first of all, it's backed by 67 individuals and funds, including um, A16Z, Founders Fund, Blockchain Capital, and Draper Associates. Those are huge names. Look those up. Sequoia Capital, too, was on that list. Sequoia Capital, yeah, recently, also, you're yeah. absolutely right. And here's the bigger thing. They have a $136 million valuation. And they are not even close to being completed with their raise because they're on track to raise $100 million. That's at least what their goal is, which to me is really silly because if you have a $136 million valuation and you're raising $100 million, you're not going to have much left on your cap table by all is said and done. Uh, that being said, they have a really interesting strategy for how they are going to be sort of spreading the word about their new token because they have kind of hung in the dark for a long time. Uh, and it's referred to in the blockchain community as a faucet model. So what this basically means is that Handshake aims to give $250 worth of its tokens to each user of the websites the company has partnerships with. So GitHub, the P2P Foundation, Freenode, uh, there's a chat channel for peer-to-peer -peer projects. I mean, there's a long list. And then developers who have existing accounts on each one of these various channels could receive up to $750 worth of Handshake tokens. Now, why they do this, uh, similar to the airdrop model, the faucet model's goal is to, number one, incentivize open source development. That's why they're giving so much money to developers. Number two, it gets the word out about projects. Arlen, when you watched the airdrop project last year, I know you've been intimately connected with a company called Elix that actually performed an airdrop and did really successful. What's your thought on it? What's your thought on this project as a whole? Well, I think this is like the, like if you took up the airdrop method to 100, you know, you multiply it. These, they're giving away everything. Yep. Um, and the, the, I think the interesting thing is that this is very akin to the early days of Bitcoin, where you could mine a thousand Bitcoin on a CPU laptop, and people, you know, evangelists were. What a coulda shoulda. But right. evangelists were giving away thousands of crypto to their friends, families, coworkers, um, just so they were holding on to it, this asset to help it gain value. I mean, the, the the concept of airdrop is basically everybody here is holding that token, so it has to be worth something, right? right. People are gonna start trading it and talking about it, and moving it because they well, have. Well, the minute it gets traded, you know, what it kind of reminds me of. It's like you can trade a paperclip for a house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The value is immediately initiated upon the first trade. Exactly. You know. Exactly. It's it's a domino effect, and it it you need a community, you need a network, you need a lot of people to be pushing it and talking about it and moving it for it to have any value because it has value because it has value. Just because it has uh, value. And yeah, so I think I think it's really smart and, and, and it's interesting. And, and long term, it will have real value. I mean, the point of the handshake coin, which is I believe HNS, is going to be um, it's sort of like ticker. Um, it's a very simple mechanism in which participants can transfer, register, and update internet names. Um, these are domain names, very simply. And it's going to be used for not only its trading purposes and its actual purpose to generate value, but also it's going to be used in a utility fashion in the platform itself. Essentially, community members can bid for top names. So the new apple.com, no longer can someone just go buy it for a monetary value. Instead, individuals on the network can all bid for it Obviously, you see value created in doing that, right? Because of the value of the domain in the current internet ecosystem. And number two, you decentralize the efforts to actually acquire a domain, uh, which is particularly interesting because now everybody's going to have access to every possible domain. It's going to come down to the highest bidder, really the highest holder of HNS, which would then mean that if Apple.com wants the new Apple.com on the decentralized internet, they're going to have to pour a ton of cash into HNS. 
and value is created. So yeah, I mean, I think there's so much we, we don't know about. I mean, right. the handshake project is interesting. That mod, I mean, if they can if they can lock in some big clients that are putting big money in, it brings up the whole network. It and really it's, does. It's kind of like a it's again a domino but, effect. But you have to understand, even for this to work, you would need an effective decentralized internet in the first place. And we already have seen with things like the Tor project, decentralized internets don't always run that well. You know what you need. You need a bunch of miners and you need a bunch of hardware infrastructure. Exit relays. And exit relays, exactly. And the particular reason that Tor has that issue is because it doesn't have enough active processing power supporting its network. Yeah, not exit nodes. There's too much traffic. It's a slow mess. I think there's 21 exit relays on Tor, which if you think about, I mean, maybe there's not enough traffic going through it, but if we were to switch over the regular internet to Tor, it would never work. It would never work. And yeah, so there's definitely a need for it. It's almost like they're building the infrastructure past like we still need to have a decentralized internet yeah which you don't truly have i mean we, we have aspects of it but we don't have decentralized storage yet truly we don't have decentralized process yet truly i mean all the projects are out there they're in the wings they're working on it and this is almost like the meta meta level i mean it's 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 You're so deep, right. which is good i mean they're the first movers they're probably going to do fine and, and frankly there are a lot of first movers from decentralized cloud to decentralized storage to decentralized uh, dns in this case the bottom line is that decentralized projects are probably moving a little bit faster than they should. But as I always like to say, this is an early stage startup market. We are seeing technologies that will be disruptive in five to 10 years, not necessarily in six months. So on that note, as I tend to like to say, hang on, because it's going to be a wild ride and we are just getting started. I cannot wait to look back to the Frontier Report in five years from now and say, wow, we were actually talking about it in its absolute nascent stage. We are just getting rolling here. So that being said, stick with us, ride it out with us, and uh, most importantly, strap in. All that being said, that wraps app, that wraps up, wraps app, yeah, I don't wraps know. Up. It's getting late. That being said, it wraps up, or wraps up, uh, another episode of the Frontier Report. That is episode number six, reporting out of Los Angeles, California on beautiful evening. Arlen and I are going to be signing off, but if you want to find us anywhere else in the world, you can head on over to FrontierMining.co. If you want to check out previous episodes of the Frontier Report, you can head on to Anchor, Spotify, Apple Music. We are literally all over the place. Until we see you next time, stay bullish, stay excited, because guess what? It's not really a bear market. See you in a week. Thank you.